Uh, several years ago, there was a poll that was taken and they began to quiz people out in culture about some of their top questions regarding faith and spirituality, the things they wrestled with. And one of the common challenges uh, was this question that's posed, uh, why does God allow evil and suffering? Why does a good God who's all-powerful allow so much evil and suffering? That's a challenge that unbelievers often uh, wrestle with and to reconcile those two truths at the same time. And while there are rational and faithful answers from the world of apologetics, uh, what I've learned in those questions relating to evil and suffering is those are not exclusive to non-Christians. I bet lots of Christians uh, who've wrestled with those same questions. And my guess is over the past two years in a world that feels so chaotic and so much pain and so much division and so much suffering that even Christians have wrestled with the idea of a good and sovereign God in a world that feels filled with pain and suffering. And so well, there's so much Suffering on the outer man and the inner man as well over the last two years. Now, here's the great thing about our faith. If Christianity is true, and it is, then it can bear the weight of those hard questions. And the hard question we've been dealing with this series is, how can we say that, that the last two years, that the pandemic has been spiritually profitable? And so last week, we started this mini-series, and we looked at Jeremiah chapter 17. And what we learned there is that the, the sun, or the heat, is representative of life and suffering in a fallen world. And what we also learn is that a result of that is that during those times of heat that some people turn away from the Lord and they produce thorns and they're burned up by the heat and other people use the heat of the suffering of life in a fallen world. They just draw their roots down deeper into Christ. And so as a result of that, they're not burned up and produce thorns. They produce fruit. Same heat, different response, proving that our hearts and not the heat are the problem. This week, I'm going to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 uh, for part 2 of the message, the profitability of a pandemic. And so last week we learned that that heat exposes idols in our life, which is a painful thing, but it is a good thing. Uh, when the heat gets turned up, we find very quickly where we're seeking refuge uh, in things other than Jesus Christ, and so that's a profitable thing. Uh, we also learned that the pandemic highlighted uh, a need for biblical community. What Paul Tripp calls intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. And so we need this type of community to encourage us when we're spiritually weak, uh, which many people have been over the past two years. But we also need this to admonish us uh, when we're struggling with idolatry as well. So look at those things last week. And before we get to Ephesians chapter 6, I came across an article uh, two weeks ago, which was very timely because I knew we were going to teach this series. And the author is a researcher and a, and a pastor and a professor, and he said, actually, that we've been navigating multiple pandemics playing out at the same time. A fascinating article. Let me kind of share with you the highlights of what he said. He said, we've been navigating a pandemic of distrust. He said, institutional trust is at an all-time low in our country. We don't trust the news. We don't trust the government. We don't trust big pharma. We don't trust school boards. And I can tell you the past two years, there have been times uh, people have not trusted us in, in our leadership. Uh, we've had our decisions questioned over the last two years. It's been an interesting time. Uh, people who've never led a church all of a sudden had very, very strong opinions on how a church should be led. And so we've had our judgments uh, questioned. Uh, we've had our motives questioned. So there certainly is a pandemic of distrust. And there's no strata of society that's not been exempt from that reality. He said, we've also been navigating a pandemic of division. If you required masks, you were a compromised coward. If you didn't, you lack compassion for people at risk. 
Uh, here's a little research. The past 24 months, 15% of Christians have switched churches over the past two years, most of them to attend a church that was more in line with their political views. Research fact. Pandemic of defamation. Simply put, social media has become vicious. Do you remember when Facebook used to be about sharing your vacation pictures? I think that day has come and gone. Amen? And so social media has become vicious. Um, this has been probably the hardest aspect for me as a pastor in navigating all of this is that people who would uh, confess Jesus as Lord uh, quit letting their words be seasoned by grace and instead they actually were practicing uh, evolutionary uh, thinking. And uh, they would, where the title or the thought is that uh, the meanest and the strongest survive. And so whoever's the meanest, the nastiest on social media wins is what we're seeing played out, which, by the way, a little side note, no one wins in the comment section on Facebook. Did you know that? Pandemic of depression. One source says four out of ten adults reported symptoms of anxiety or depression during the pandemic compared to one out of ten prior to the pandemic. And he says, lastly, there's a pandemic of disorientation and disruption. So to say that the rhythms of our life have been disrupted is an incredible understatement. So we've been navigating multiple pandemics and we've been doing it for an extended season. And just like extended seasons of suffering can expose our true heart affections, extended seasons of suffering also make us ripe for spiritual warfare. Here's why. When the inner man is weakened through seasons of suffering and certainly prolonged seasons of suffering, uh, the reality is we become ripe for the weapons of spiritual warfare from the enemy. But the good news this morning is Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us that God has equipped us for the battle. And so we'll look at Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, verses 10 through 17. Verse 10 begins, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, from a biblical worldview, we would agree that God is totally sovereign, uh, meaning that everything is happening under His sovereign control. And under His control for a variety of reasons that we don't always understand, God allows certain things to happen under His sovereign control. And, and in some ways, uh, it's all used for His glory. And on this side of eternity, we can't always seen that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, that the ways of God are beyond our comprehension. And so when we can't understand that, we just trust his character, knowing that he is working all things out together for good. And the reality is there are pandemics and famines and hurricanes, and, and God allows all those things. And right in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all that suffering and life in a fallen world in the heat, there is Satan crouching and waiting and scheming and ready to attack. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's seizing on people's doubts 
and their discouragements and their emotions. And in a moment's notice, he's ready for spiritual battle. There's no question about that. The question this morning is, are we? If you've experienced some doubts and discouragement over the past two years, would you just raise your hand? And if your hand's not raised, I just assume you're still drunk from last night. Amen? <laughs> like, I got questions for my questions, right? And knowing this makes me a ripe target for spiritual warfare. When I began to battle discouragement because I can't figure things out or, or suffering's prolonged, I begin to get uh, battle with doubts and about the goodness of God and the timing of God and all those things. And so the good news is, though, is that God has equipped us for the battle. And so last week we looked at two principles, that the heat can expose our idols, and it reminds us of the heightened need of biblical community. And so this week I want us to look at two more principles about the profitability of a pandemic and see how they correspond with the weapons of warfare here in Ephesians chapter 6. So when trouble hits or the heat gets turned up, life gets hard, whatever phrase you like, uh, Scripture reigns supreme. One of the things that's been so confusing over the last two years is seeing people who have the same Christian worldview offer completely different answers to questions circulating in culture, and often they've got Bible verses attached to their opinion or their position. Two Christians, same worldview, same Bible, same heat, totally different responses, and both of them attached to some kinds of scripture. And so uh, how is that proved profitable during the pandemic, what it does is this. It forces us to actually go to the Bible and say, what does the text actually say? And the Bible says it's all sufficient. There's no question about it. The question is this. When you've got questions, do you turn there or do you turn to other sources of human wisdom? And so the Bible says, stop trusting in your own understanding. Proverbs chapter 3 Verses 5 and 6, and instead turn to the all-sufficient Word of God. All right, so if you're listening, say amen. Far too many Christians over the past two years have allowed themselves to be discipled by their favorite news sources. And they're spending five minutes in the morning in a devotional, and then hours upon hours through news and social media and podcasts, listening to their favorite political commentaries and being discipled by that. And here's what I've discovered about the things we consume. Mostly, it's an echo chamber. I'm only listening to this group of people because they reinforce what I already want to be true. I'm only listening to this group of people because they reinforce what I want to be true. And that's true if you're politically right or politically left. Most of it is an echo chamber. But here's what's so great about Scripture. It is objective and authoritative. It doesn't have any source attached to it other than God himself, his very inspired, infallible, inerrant, perfectly preserved word of God. And it is objective and authoritative. And because this is true, we should view politics through the lens of Scripture instead of viewing Scripture through the lens of politics. Have you ever noticed in all the weapons in Ephesians chapter 6, only one of them was primarily used for offense? Every other weapon was used to protect us except one, the last one listed in verse 17. What's he say? And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so that's an offensive weapon. And so in seasons of suffering, the enemy is using those seasons of suffering to ramp up spiritual attacks. Guess what I fight back with? The objective, true Word of God. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is in a weakened physical state. He was fully man, so he's experiencing real 
physical suffering, real physical fatigue, real physical hunger. And in that weakened state, you're always ripe for temptation. So what does the enemy do? He goes up and he makes him three deals. Hey, if you do this, then I'll give you this. If you do this, I'll do this. And three times at every place of temptation, his response is, it is written, it is written, it is written. You know what your response should be when life turns you upside down and the enemy's attacking you? The exact same thing. It is written. This is what I'm afraid is true. This is what feels true. That's why I'm anxious. This is what God has declared is objectively true. And I'm living by faith out of that truth. And in prolonged seasons of suffering, Scripture is objective when our emotions are subjective. And so we focus and we live by not what feels to be true, but what we know to be true. And so why is the pandemic spiritually profitable? Because we don't have answers. That should drive us to the Scripture. And anything that causes us to dive deeply into God's word is a profitable thing, even in a painful season. So, so here's the question everybody should wrestle with this morning. Have I found myself going to God's word more often over the past two years to glean from his objective truth? And if that is the case, even though it's been a hard season, then guess what? It's a profitable one. And so what are some of the specific areas where the pandemic should force us to examine what the Bible actually teaches? For the sake of time, I'm just going to zero in on two of these that we've seen during the pandemic, right? So, number one, uh, the biblical purpose of government. It's no secret, I, I don't enjoy politics, uh, and I'm not ignorant that people would like to know my political views, and it's because it's not uncommon that I either get asked about them or suggested that I preach on some issue going on in the world of politics. And let me tell you some of the reasons I don't enjoy politics. So, if you just say, hey, I wish every now and then you talk about politics or those things, listen, today's your day. I don't like that blind party loyalty is often chosen over principle-based objectivity. If you're a Democrat, Republican can do nothing right. If you're a Republican, a Democrat can do nothing right. Instead of evaluating through principles, it's blind party loyalty. Politics is the greatest distraction of the gospel of the American church. Too much hope is placed in politics as evidenced by the anxiety it produces. Listen, anxiety is the evidence of hope threatened. Christians behave as if the person with opposing viewpoint is not made in the image of God, so therefore they attack and degrade people instead of problems. Politics is often about gaining power. The cross was about giving away power. Don't lose sight of the fact when they tried to capture Jesus and make him king, he fled. Too many people reserve their greatest passions for temporal kingdoms. Politics is often an occasion for us to point out the speck in someone else's eye, and ignore the beam in our own eye. Now, what do I mean by that? People who cannot manage their own house well think they could actually run the country. People who have never been on the local zoning board know exactly what should happen for the whole country. Isn't that fascinating? People who cannot manage their own money think they could fix the economy. You know, well, if I were in charge, I would do this. Well, actually, you're in charge of your own house. It ain't going so well. Amen? I could go on and on and on. Now, let me just say something that should shock you in light of all that list I just rattled off of why I don't like politics. Uh, I don't love politics, but I'm a huge fan 
of the concept of government. Here's why. It's one of the three human institutions ordained by God. The family, the church, and human government. And any time that God ordains something, guess what? You and I should be big fans. Government's a good thing, but, but government comes from a good thing to a bad thing when it becomes a God thing when I put all my hope in it as evidenced by anxiety when hope is threatened. And so my guess over the past two years produced lots of questions about the role of government. Matter of fact, I'd go as far as to say that some of the strongest opinion I've fielded over the last two years has been related to the role of government in our lives. And so the question is not, should I have opinions? Nothing wrong with having opinions, right? The question is, are my opinions biblically formed? And so one of the clearest passages in the Bible about the role of government is found in Romans chapter 13. Let me read it to you. Verses 1 through 4 says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, submission. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God, God ordained. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And so what he's describing in verses 1 and 2 in Romans chapter 13 uh, is how Christians are to relate to the concept of government. Now, make no mistake, the language is used of authority and submission. Now, I don't have to like that. You don't have to like that as a general thumb. I don't like to be told what I can and cannot do. But can we all agree that black ink on white paper, this is language about God-ordained authority and submission to that authority. You say, well, I don't agree, I don't agree. There, there's no caveat in here about that. And so we are to submit to government up until Submission requires us to sin, and at that point, we choose civil disobedience according to Acts chapter 5. Now, there's room for disagreement between Christians on the size of government, the scope of government, but the Bible is clear that the concept of human government is God-ordained, and the relationship is one of authority and submission up until submission requires us to sin. So verses 1 and 2 describe our relationship to the government. But look at verses 3 and 4 to describe the purpose of government. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear for the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, he being government. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God. Listen to this. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so in other words, the biblical purpose of government is to wield the sword against the evil doer. It's to punish those who break the law, those who threaten the law, and the order of civil society. So let me put it another way. The biblical purpose of government is not to legislate immorality. It's to legislate against immorality and enforce justice on evil doers. And if we don't understand that, then, then you know what's going to happen? We're going to look to the government to be our source of legislated morality. And we're going to be frantic when the moral laws that we desire aren't put into place. And you say, well, where in the world then are we going to get morality from? Listen closely. From the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest need in our country is not political reform. It's revival. And if Christians were half as bold about speaking up about Jesus as they were about politics, then we would have twice the influence and no need for any of the power. And so when you get bent out of shape about government, lots of people have, 
what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. Listen, go back to Scripture and let it form your worldview around government and ask yourself, am I expecting the government to do something that God never intended it to do? Am I blaming the lack of morality on government inactivity when it's really gospel silence from Christians? Let me just add this in as well. Speaking up about conservative values is not the same as proclaiming the gospel. Do not expect people to hold your values when they have not met your Savior. People don't need outward morality. They need Jesus. That was the mistake of the Pharisees. We're going to legislate an outward morality, and we're going to enforce it and police it. We all see how that turned out. And so the reality is government is there to legislate against immorality and to put down evildoers to wield the sword. We go on a lot longer for the sake of time. Let me highlight one other area where there's been lots and lots of questions about that. I've had so many questions I feel about government and how to respond, what does it look like, what should they do, what should they not do, those things. Here's another area that I think I've had lots of questions and conversations about is this, is the covenant of God with his church. Over the past few years, I, I literally couldn't describe to you how many conversations I've fielded about uh, America's role in, in God's redemptive economy and America's role in the, in the end times, literally last week, someone asked me, what do you think about this and all that's going on in the world around us? There's been a tremendous amount of intermingling and lack of discernment about the scriptures uh, and the constitutions. There's been a lot of conversation about God-given rights versus rights given by man. Now, listen, I'm grateful for both the scriptures and the constitution, but one is inspired and one is not, and that shouldn't be a controversial statement. And I'm fully aware that there's language in the Constitution that's drawn from Scripture, but there's a difference between being inspired and principled. Listen, I've got a whole library of books that are drawn from Scripture, but none of them are inspired. And so when we talk about God-given rights, one of the things we have to wrestle with is, listen, if God is giving rights to his children, then why are there people all around the world who don't have those same rights? And so there's rights given by men, there's rights given by God, we should be grateful for both of those and the sacrifices made for those, but really what's at stake here is this, it is a question of covenant. It is a question of covenant, and the pandemic has been profitable in this regard. Anytime there's a heightened awareness about, well, how does this work, and how does this work, and and what is God's role for us and our country and those kinds of things? If it drives us to the scriptures, it should force us to be profitable in that. So what does the Bible teach regarding God's promises or covenants to his people? All right? So listen up. In the old covenant, God dealt with nations as a whole. We often refer to Israel as God's chosen people. And so his promises were to a nation. That's an old covenant theology. But when Jesus showed up, it was no longer just God's chosen nation of Israel that was blessed. The whole world was blessed through Jesus and the church. And so God's kingdom now expands to every continent and one day made up of every tribe and every tongue and, and every nation. So sometimes there's been an intermingling, well, America is the new Israel. Here's the problem. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says that's an old covenant theology where I think that God is working through a nation when the new covenant is God is working through a people called the church. In the old covenant, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 13, Paul says it has become obsolete. God deals now with people, not with nations. He's working through the church, not a nation. That's an old covenant theology. Now, now let me tell you why that's so important. 
When the country gets flipped upside down, if you don't understand that, then guess what? Panic and fear are going to set in that somehow that God's plan for the nations is thwarted. But listen, here's the good news. God is working through the church, and the church is global, and God himself has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. The covenant of God is not threatened. I don't care how desperate and how chaotic it feels at times because God is working through his church, and the movement of God and the gospel will not be thwarted. And so there's been a lot of questions about that. And listen, here's the good news. When you have questions, and if that drives you to the Scripture, that's a good thing. That's profitable because your worldview is being formed by the Scriptures. So God's plan is moving for this covenant people all over the world. Now, because that's true, I want you to listen closely. Christians have more in common with other Christians in Ukraine than we do with non-Christians in our own country. Did you know that? I've had people ask me, like, we, we just, our own country's a mess. Why should we worry about what's going on in the church in Ukraine, this kind of thing? Because Christians have more in common with other Christians in Ukraine than we do with non-Christians in our own country. We should care deeply. Why? Because we have a, we're the same family as them. Submitting ourselves to the same king, living under the same covenant, mutual citizenship in heaven. And guess what? We're going to spend all of eternity with them. And so when I have a covenant worldview, number one, I have confidence no matter how chaotic it gets, God's plan is moving forward. But the second thing is it causes me to have compassion for people that otherwise I may not have compassion for. And so how is the pandemic profitable? How are seasons of suffering profitable? Because scripture reigns supreme. When you don't know what to think or what to do or how to answer questions, what should you do? You should go to the Bible and say, it's completely sufficient and it forms my worldview. On every single subject. And so scripture reigns supreme when trouble hits. And secondly, when trouble hits, gospel opportunities abound. And that's easy to understand, but it's easy to forget. You know what I've noticed in the last two years? People have been living through this time of suffering. There have been kind of two responses people kind of settled into. Number one, I hate the world as it is now. I've had a few few people share that with me. But the other response is, what a time to be on mission for Jesus. Listen, when there's human suffering, outer man, inner man, everything in between, when there's chaos and confusion and anxiety, guess what all of that is? It's an opportunity to platform Jesus Christ to those who are wrestling with all that's going on. No matter where you land politically, no matter how you feel about COVID, Here's something we should all unite around. There are a tremendous amount of people suffering. And here's what we said over and over. Hurting people are red apples evangelistically. And so we can either run away from people in the midst of our own pain and suffering, or we can run towards people in love. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. It says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, listen to this, verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I love the translation of verse 15, another Bible paraphrase. Here's what it says. Wear shoes that are able to speed you on as you preach the good news of peace 
with God. Love that. Now here's a little historical context. Roman battle shoes, otherwise known as caligae, had spikes or uh, textured soles. So if you think of uh, metal baseball cleats, anybody grew up playing baseball and wore metal baseball cleats back when men were men? Amen? That's kind of the idea here. And so they would wear these spikes shoes and and we know the, the, the importance of boots to protect your feet and battle, all those kind of things. But guess what? It was a major tactical advantage to the Roman army that other Romans did not have. They were effective in helping them stand their ground regardless of the terrain. And these shoes, the Roman army could not be stopped. They didn't have to retreat. They could stand shoulder to shoulder. And when the enemy's attacks progressed, no matter how difficult the ground was, they could stand firm because their feet had been shorn with the right footwear. Now, what does that got to do about us? Need history fact, what does it got to do with us? When he describes footwear in the spiritual armor, he calls it shoes shod with the gospel of peace. Now, what does that mean practically? What that means is this. When the heat of life gets turned up and spiritual battles taking place, you and I do not have to retreat with a heart ruled by fear and anxiety. We can advance into the battlefield unafraid because we carry with us the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Our feet are as sure in the battle as the gospel itself is what he's describing. You don't have to retreat. You don't have to walk away in fear. You don't have to let your life be ruled by anxiety. He says you can stand firm not because of what you've done but because of what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. And because that is true... You and I, spiritually, are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. The Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is the world. The Bible says that no weapon against me formed shall prosper. Why? Because I know how the story ends. And no matter how chaotic it gets, guess what? Peace can rule my heart. Listen, not because I've got it all figured out, but because Christ has it all under control. The beginning and the end. And when you model that in a culture filled with chaos, people will look at your life and say, I don't understand how all that's going on around us. And you're not ruled by fear. You can point down at your shoes and say, you see what I'm wearing? These aren't Yeezys, these are Jeezys, Amen. I just made that up. I feel like the Lord gave it to me. <laughs> right? Like when people look at you and say, man, you're, 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 the world is crazy. But you're not going crazy. Why is that? He said, because my confidence is not in me being able to figure it out or fix it or all those kind of things. My confidence is all under Christ's control. And he's already won the battle against sin and death. He's already coming back victorious. He's already coming back not to take sides, but to take over and set up his kingdom. I don't have to worry and get freaked out about the temporal kingdom anxiety we're living in because Christ is coming. He's a better king, and he's setting up a better kingdom all for his glory. And so I'm just going to live in the midst of all of this, not because I'm strong, but because Christ is strong in me. I'm going to shod my feet with the gospel of peace and the Death and resurrection of Jesus Christ says, it is finished, the war is over, I'm just waiting for my king, that's why. 
Three Pentecostals are excited about it. The rest of you are backslidden Presbyterians. And you know, when you, listen, when you live that way, listen, not, not with arrogance, but with gospel confidence. That you don't have it all figured out, but Christ has got it all under control. Your heart, in a, in a, listen, in a, in a season of anxiety, your heart's ruled by the gospel of peace because the war's been settled. You don't have to retreat. It's like the Roman soldiers have that sure footing. Your footing is as sure as Jesus, even when the world feels crazy. When you live like that, guess what? It puts Jesus on display to the people who are watching. It gives you real life opportunity. So you can, you can look at the last two years and say, I hate the world, and I, I hate this, and I hate that. And or you can say, hey, what a time to be alive on mission for Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, you can look at the last two years with gratitude and say this. I'm so grateful and humbled that God would trust me to be his ambassador in the midst of the worst season of my life. What a privilege God has trusted me with witness during this season. And so when trouble hits and the heat gets turned up, guess what? Gospel opportunities abound. I told you I don't like politics. Let me just add this in. It's not my notes. It's totally free. There is a huge, huge need and opportunity for mature Christians to get involved in government opportunities to display the character of Jesus Christ and to serve people instead of accumulating power. It's an opportunity. You can get mad at politics and you look at it and say, hey, this is space to represent Jesus well when lots of people aren't. And so you either hate the world the last two years or you can say, what a time to be alive as a follower of Jesus Christ. Not because you've got it all figured out, but because Christ has it all under control. Listen, in a hard season, if it drives you to the Word of God to find answers about the questions everyone asks about what, what's, the, you know, what's, about, what's the Bible say about America and about the government, listen, to all kinds of, that's all I have time for. Anything that drives you deeper into the Word of God Although a painful season can be a profitable season. And if it forces you to live on mission and God gives you opportunities to be a faithful ambassador for the gospel that prior to the pandemic you did not have, guess what? Even if it was a painful season, it was a profitable season. Earlier I referenced the article about the multiple pandemics we've experienced. Let's just answer this question. How is Jesus the answer to all these pandemics? Because can we just be honest? Sometimes we say Jesus the answer, it just feels like a, a cheap cliche. It's like a bumper sticker. I would argue this. In a pandemic of distrust, Jesus is morally perfect in deed and motive. In a pandemic of division, Jesus' final prayers were for the church to be unified. In a pandemic of defamation, we're destroying everybody in our path who disagrees with us. Jesus models for us what it looks like to think of others better than ourselves, like Philippians 2 says. In a pandemic of depression, Jesus is our source of joy. The psalmist said, Lord, in your presence, not in peaceful circumstances, where everything feels as it should be, but Lord, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In a pandemic of disorientation, disruption, here's some good news. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And here's the best news of all. In the midst of chaos, everyone who runs to Jesus for refuge will not be put to shame. And if you've never turned to him as a refuge this morning, I can't think of a better season than the one we're living in right now to do that very thing. Would you bow your heads this morning? Head bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Number one, would you just do something that maybe you haven't done for the past two years? Would you just stop right now and thank God for sustaining you and giving you an opportunity to be his ambassador? Would you just stop right now and thank God for the pandemic? Not that we're thankful for all things, but we believe that God can use it for his glory. Would you pray this? Would you pray, Lord, don't let my own discouragement and frustration and angst and bitterness cause me to turn inward. But Lord, use this time to draw my roots down deeper into Christ. And God, in this season of so many people's suffering, inner man, outer man, God, help me look out in the world, not with frustration, but with compassion. Help me to represent you well, so that Jesus is shown to be beautiful in a world that is broken. If you're here this morning and you've never turned to Jesus Christ for refuge from your sins, then what a day to get saved. What a day to be reminded that the world we live in is broken, the whole world's been damaged by sin, and you and I are a part of that. And that sin separates us from God who's holy. But the Bible says in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so if you've never turned to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've never sought refuge in him for your salvation, right now, right now, would you pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Would you confess that you're sinful? Would you express a desire to turn away from sin and self-righteousness? And would you receive Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins right now, right where you're sitting? Would you do that? God, I pray that over the past two weeks, your word has reminded us that over the past two years, you've been just as faithful. Your kingdom's not in danger. Your plan is not thwarted. Your covenant hasn't collapsed. God, as a matter of fact, You've given us as Christ followers an incredible opportunity. And so, Lord, this is not the last season of suffering on this side of eternity. We know that. But, God, let's not forget the lessons that we've learned through it. 
that when the heat gets turned up, Lord, may it drive our roots down deeper in Jesus. And in a world of fear and anxiety and chaos, may our hearts be ruled with peace, not because we've got it figured out, but because Jesus has it all under control. The battle has already been won. And so, Lord, find us faithful. We pray that in Jesus' name, because we can. Amen.